Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Julian Morgans, and you're listening to What It Was Like, the show that asks people who have lived through big, dramatic events what it was like. Today's story takes us to Accomack County in rural Virginia. I want you to imagine this thin peninsula of land protruding from the Atlantic coast. It's like this little finger of farmland, with the state of Maryland to the north, Virginia beaches down the south, and then there's water on both sides. And then there's just this one highway down the middle, and there's lots of abandoned houses. The area is full of abandoned houses because Accomack used to be the richest rural county in the U.S., but now it's poor, so it's dotted with hundreds, probably thousands of abandoned farmhouses. And our story takes place in 2012, 10 years ago, when these farmhouses started burning down. It started on November 12, when a total of seven fires were reported in a 24-hour period. And then it didn't stop. Over the next five months, there were almost 80 fires deliberately lit across the county. Most of them were empty buildings, but there was also a billboard. uh, There was a pile of tires. Um, Now, It was a really weird crime. It was a spooky, seemingly random, senseless crime because none of these things were insured. Setting fire to them didn't make anyone richer. And in almost all of the cases, there was no one home. So like there was no one killed or injured. So there was no clear revenge motive. It was just an arson spree without a purpose. And the community was kind of spooked. If you hunt around Facebook, you can still find a few community groups from this period. They were set up by, um, by locals, like terrified locals who wanted to discuss what was happening. And it was basically people talking about various conspiracy theories. Lots of people thought the government was setting fire to the houses from drones. A few people saw a, like a kind of religious end of days element to it. There was at least one vigilante group set up to keep watch on abandoned houses that might become targets. They called themselves the East Shore Arsonist Hunters. 
but uh, they never caught anyone. And every week there'd be a few new fires and no trace of a suspect until, finally, the police made an arrest. And they didn't arrest some deranged pyromaniac, like it wasn't just some crazy individual. They actually, they arrested a well-known local couple, like just a couple that everyone knew. This was Charlie Smith, who had an auto paint shop, and his partner, Tonya Bundick, who ran a clothing store out of the same building. And the story that emerged was that these two were kind of having relationship problems, and serial arson was just their way of letting off steam. They'd go driving at night, and usually Tonya would drive, and and Charlie would sit in the passenger seat, and Tonya would find a target, and she'd tell Charlie, look, see that house over there? Let's burn it. And Charlie would leap out of the car and set the place on fire, and then they'd drive off. And that was just, that was just their thing. Now, I heard this story. I heard this story a few years ago, and I just, I've always wanted to know more. Like, <laughs> like obviously, it's a crazy crime, but, but how do you get to that point where you've graduated from arguments, like just relationship arguments, to just burning down houses? Like, I feel like even if I did burn down a house, like even if I was just in some failing, terrible relationship and, and you know, we'd burn down a house to let off some steam, I feel like I'd immediately regret it. I'd be like, oh my God, the long arm of the law is going to get us I'm terrified. So then how the hell do you end up doing it again? How the hell do you end up doing another one and another one and another one? And then how do you get to almost 80 houses? And I just really wanted to find out. So I contacted Charlie. And thanks to the Virginia Department of Corrections, you can call prisoners. If you're a fan of the show, you'll remember that uh, I actually spoke to the guy who murdered Michael Jordan's dad, and this was a similar deal. I, I called him up at the prison, same sort of principle. So slowly, maybe over like the last year, Charlie and I have become friends, and he's agreed to tell me his story, like the whole story, from how he and Tonya met, to how they fell in love, to how they started burning down houses. And to be clear, I contacted Tonya too, and I asked for her side of the story, but she refused. So we're only hearing from Charlie. And I'm just highlighting that because, let's be honest, almost no one in the world gives an objective evaluation of their ex-partner, especially when you both went to jail, right? So I just want to highlight that we should take Charlie's assessments of Tonya with, with maybe a grain of salt. So without further ado, here is Charlie Smith. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Thank you for using GTL. Hello. Hey, Charlie. Good morning to you. Yep. Good morning. How you doing today? I'm okay. I normally I'm up before now, but I woke up late today. So, Charlie, he grew up in Accomack County, um, and he had a bit of a bad boy reputation. He had a daughter from a previous relationship, and he had spent his youth um, kind of in and out of prison. He'd developed an addiction to crack cocaine pretty young, so he'd been busted for theft, tried to support his habit. Um, At one stage, he was forging checks. Obviously, that didn't work out so well. So by the time he met Tonya, everyone knew that he was kind of a bit rough around the edges, but he really fell for Tonya, and he resolved to live a life on the straight and narrow, and it worked. I think uh, they got to a point where where Tonya trusted him, Tonya respected him to, to some degree, and, and they moved in together. And at first, for the first month or two, it was nice. Um, when I first moved in, it was actually really 
kind of sweet because we got along really good, laughing and joking, and and uh, I think we were both happy that we had some money. <laughs> Charlie and Tonya lived in Tonya's small house together with her two kids. And Charlie tells me there's not much to do in Accomack County. So over those first few months when they were really in love and getting to know each other, they, they had this thing that they liked to do, which is, you know, maybe a little bit cute. They used to go to Walmart and they'd go to the toy section with the kids and they'd just like mess around with the toys and they'd pull funny faces at the other customers. And I, I like this vision. Like this is these two serial arsonists whose relationship started messing around with the kids with, with toys. It's kind of cute, and um, I don't know. There's something there's something universal about this. Can you tell me about the first time that she said, "I love you"? Um, the first time she said it was actually she sent me this text. It was one of these like weird texts where it was a whole bunch of eyes. And a whole bunch of loves, and then a whole bunch of use, and <laughs> and how did you feel when you got that text? Uh, I was actually really excited because I thought for once in my life I'd actually found somebody uh, that I'd actually work out with, and maybe meet the one goal in my life that I always wanted to come true. And that was being part of a have my own family. <laughs> Would you describe yourself as romantic? Hmm. I always wanted to fall in love since I was little. I mean, I can even remember being a kid, and my mother even had pictures of me that I had, like, traced out of color and looks of, like, these two people, like, kissing with a big heart in the background. And, and I'm talking about the age of four or five when I did stuff like that because, I don't know, to me, being a part of a family and being in love and having your own family was just, like, the biggest goal in life. You know, it's what I always wanted. Despite this, Charlie says that the relationship was far from perfect. Even after they were living together, Tonya always insisted that they couldn't tell anyone that they were a couple. He tells me that she always wanted him to park his truck behind the house so that no one could see it. For whatever reason, she was just a bit embarrassed to be seen with him, which, you know, that kind of sucks. Uh, And that created some problems. There were some jealousy issues on top of that. And Charlie says he began to suffer from erectile dysfunction, which Tonya took personally. She kept telling me that it didn't make no damn sense because here she was, this beautiful woman. Even if I didn't like her, I should still be able to have sex with her. And she was too good looking. She could do bad on her own. She could go screw any guy. (laughs) So I literally just got to the point that I wouldn't even speak. I would go days without speaking. So, which I think she really hated that. I almost think she hated that worse than arguing. Charlie says that Tonya was also in a pretty bad place. One of her sons had a learning difficulty and she pulled him out of school to, to look after him herself. And it was about this time, a little bit over a year into their relationship, that they started going out driving at night. Sometimes we'd ride around and just talk about what was going on and you know it seemed to do her some good and then one night they're out driving and something happened something that changed everything about their relationship we had to be riding around this back road one night and out of the blue she stopped the car and told me to get out and burn this house down and i was like huh she's like yeah burn this house down whoa okay Let's uh, let's slow this one down. Can you set the scene for me? 
Um, what did what did the house look like? Um, it was this old, beat-up, two-story home that sat like in the middle of the of a field, grass grown all up and trash all over the place. And I mean, hell, the grass came up almost to my shoulders or weeds or bushes, whatever it was. They drove past and Charlie thought she was joking, but then she circled back and pulled over and she told him to get out and burn the house down. I got out and I was like, what the hell? I kind of walked up to the house, and I can't remember. It's been so long now. I think I walked inside the house, but I had no intention of burning the place at all. And next thing I know, she called me and wanted to know if I had done it, and I'm still kind of thinking this might be a joke. And I told her, yeah, I'd done it, which I actually had never done nothing. And um, I got in the car when she started to pick me up, and... It was weird. She went from like being sad into being like, like uh, the weight was lifted off of her shoulder. So she was like semi somewhat happy. Charlie says Tonya was happy because she thought that he'd actually lit the place on fire. But when they drove past, she was annoyed to discover that he'd lied to her. So she stopped the car. She said, leave it to a man to do a woman's work. And she got out of the car and told me to drive down the street and come back and I really still didn't totally believe it, but I drove her car down the street, and when I came back, there were freaking flames shooting down the back of this place like you wouldn't even believe. I was like, oh, my God. Can you just grab the fire? Well, I believe she set it on the back porch, and, I mean, it was literally just flames shooting up. They weren't fully engulfed, but the back porch went up pretty quick, and that was fully engulfed, but... She jumped back in the car and she was just laughing. I mean, it was like she didn't have a problem in the world. And how did you feel in that moment? I can't say that there was a lot of... There was fear there, but it weren't fear of the fire. It was just fear of, I can't believe this just happened. What the hell? So what did you do? Um, Basically, when she got in the car, I just hit the gas and home we went. (laughs) What was the mood like on the way home? She was just like a chatterbox after that, but I just remember thinking to myself, what the hell have I got myself into? I asked Charlie if he'd ever seen another indication that Tonya was into lighting fires, like if there was any history of pyromania there. And he said that actually, maybe there was. You know what? That's kind of weird. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I just kind of thought about that, that you asked me that question. We did have a burn barrel behind our house. And she did used to do some really stupid stuff with it and thought that it was the greatest thing in the world because she would take, like, hairspray and aerosol cans and throw in these burn barrels just to watch these damn things blow up. That's weird because I never never talked about that until just now. (laughs) The day after that first house fire, Charlie said that he went to work, like always, and then when he got home, they went out driving again. They lit several more houses on fire that night, and the local papers claimed that it was a total of seven houses over 24 hours. But when I asked Charlie about this, when I asked for a specific number, he kind of gets a bit cagey, and he he says it was less than that. Um, He says that he can't properly remember the details. I can't recall the fires right after that without seeing some paperwork or something like that. I mean, if I see pictures of the houses, I'd be able to tell you word for word, but... um, 
I do remember there was like two or three houses set on fire that following night. He says that they went out the night after that too, and for the first time in months, there were less fights. They felt closer. Tonya was a little bit calmer. And as they did it more, a little routine developed. We went out driving because that was a normal thing. And she would just tell me to stop, and that's when she would um, burn down this place or that place or set this or that on fire. And, um, I actually, in the beginning, although I was driving, in the beginning, I refused to have any parts of it. Although it had gotten to the point that I was afraid she was going to end up killing somebody. And that's sort of how I originally started getting involved because it would happen. She'd pick out where she was going to burn, and then. I got so nervous because she was just going in there late in the place. All I could think was there was going to be a homeless person in there, and she weren't going to check. So it basically worked out in the beginning. I would actually go in, search the house, and then she'd go in later and burn it. We're going to take a quick ad break here, and we'll be right back with more What It Was Like. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Charlie, I got to ask the big question here. And I, and I think that is, it's why. Like you're framing this in a way that suggests you didn't enjoy it. So then why did she enjoy it? Um, did you ever ask her just like, hey, why are we doing this? I honestly can't remember if I asked her why we were doing this or not because that's actually the, everybody always asks me the same question. And I, it's like I tell everybody, it's like if I had one question I could have asked her that she had to answer honestly, it'd be why did we do it because I don't know the reason behind why we do it, did it because all I can do is guess. Um, to me, it didn't make sense. I remember her telling me basically it was just harmless fun for real, and they were all old, abandoned, run-down houses anyway. Do you think that there was anything in her past that made her want to do this? Um, there's a chance that she had an abusive childhood. I think she was abused as far as being beaten all the time by her father, but I could be wrong about that. At this point... Charlie actually admitted that he knew that Tonya set her childhood home on fire, but he thought it was an accident. He said that it was always her job to empty her dad's ashtrays, and one day uh, there was a smoldering cigarette in the ashtray and it set the bin on fire, which set the house on fire. And he says that her dad beat her up pretty bad for that, but she never really told Charlie the full story. I never was able to figure that out about her because... She started telling me stuff, and then it was like she'd go quiet instead of telling the whole story. She said that nothing happened, but I was never sure about that. Can you tell me more about how this became normal in your house? Like, um, like walk me through it. So I'm assuming that you'd get home from work, and then you guys would uh, would go out? Yeah, that is basically how I went down. I'd just come home from work, and she'd want to go out riding to get a break from the kids, and that's how it always started. So she'd just say, let's go burn some houses. Yeah. Um, eventually, I mean, not in the very beginning that he, uh, I remember it, but eventually, yeah, we're going to burn a house down. But then it turned out to be a pretty normal thing on her burning something down. I said earlier that they burned down nearly 80 buildings, and uh, but the official number is like 76 or maybe it's 77. It's a little bit unclear because some of the fires went out. They didn't actually catch on properly, um, and a lot of the things weren't actually buildings. But, but all through this period, the single biggest fire that Charlie and Tonya lit was in an old motel called the Whispering Pines. And it was kind of a big deal because because the Whispering Pines was like a bit of a, a local historical site. Um, in the 1950s and 60s, it was this this amazing motel with these neon signs out the front. And it was a favorite stop for families traveling along Route 13 between New York, heading to, to Florida for a vacation. And it used to have a, a AAA rated restaurant attached to it too. But by 2013, the place was derelict. And Charlie says it was actually the first target that he picked himself. It was supposed to be like, my grand finale before her grand finale. It was supposed to be to basically close to the end of what was going on. And it used to be one of the most beautiful hotels, I think, anywhere, because presidents had actually stayed there back in the past. It was like one of the top dollar hotels around. 
but you know, over time, like everything, it just fell to pieces, and nobody ever did nothing with it, and turned into basically a big crack house. So, how did you do it? Um, there's a little side road right in front of it that goes to the highway, and basically she parked there, and I went across there and went behind the place, and uh, I went in through the back door where the restaurant used to be, and um. I basically went in there and I went to the back and there was like hundreds of old mattresses stacked up against the wall. And basically I just took my lighter and I lit one of those mattresses and I took off running, running and got there and away we went. Did you ever feel bad burning down a historical building? I guess there was some sentimental value to some people, but... I'll be honest, I don't know that I really thought about that part. I was just, I felt bad that we were actually doing it, period. So, all right, let's let's talk about the biggest question through all of this. If you say it was all Tonya's idea, why did you go along with it? I don't know. I think deep down somewhere inside of me, I still had feelings for her, and I knew she was going through a lot, and I wanted to help, and... I don't know, a lot of nights I'd sit there and talk to her about how it needed to stop because, you know, the kids were going to be the ones that suffered. We were going to end up in prison, and I don't know. I just thought I could help her, and I don't know. I was just an idiot. I, I, I can't tell you nothing other than I was an idiot. So would you say that it became normal? Like, did you lose track of, of just how weird this all was? I can't say it was normal because... I hated what we were doing, and I mean, it's like when I first met her, I think I weighed 185 pounds, and I was so stressed out by everything that was going on that I actually, by the time I was locked up, I was only like 150, 155 pounds, because I'd really gotten to the point that I couldn't eat, and when I did eat, I could hardly hold anything down, because I was just so stressed out that it was driving me crazy. Why didn't you just leave the relationship? I actually thought about leaving quite a few times, but I don't know. I think deep down I still thought maybe I could help her get her away from that. And I don't know. Like I said, I had gotten attached to the children also. I just, I don't know. I kind of felt like I'd be leaving them behind. Can you tell me about the media? Because I understand that after a few months of lighting fires, the media spotlight was was really on you? Well, I guess when it came to the spotlight, like I said, we're from a small net community. It was more talk at first than it was in the media. Don't get me wrong, it was in the media, but the talk is what got me because everybody was talking about us. Yeah, you've mentioned the talking before. Can you tell me about some of the weird rumors that were going around? There was all kinds of crazy stories flying around at that time. They thought that, I think the last part of the Bible was Revelations, if I remember right. They thought it was, a lot of people thought it was, the religious people thought it was the end of time and fire was just sprouting up. There was ghosts and, I mean, I'm lucky I didn't get caught when everybody was talking about it because it was just one situation. I'd I'd always change the subject because... I actually have friends that I almost most admitted all this to one night. What happened? We were all standing there talking, and they were talking about, um, they actually got talking about Tanya about this 
excuse me for what I'm going to say, but they told me I needed to leave that bitch because my whole life and the type of person I was had completely just turned upside down. And that's when all of a sudden, I can't remember exactly what was said, but they said something. And I was like, if you only knew what this bitch had me doing by then, they were actually talking about the fires. And, and as soon as I said that, I they I just stopped talking, and they were like, what are you talking about? And they never put two and two together. And once I was locked up, I ended up getting in touch with them again. And they were like, dude, that day out there in our shop, when you said this, is what you were getting ready to tell us, weren't you? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I was getting ready to do. As I said at the start of the show, the arson spree went for about five months. And Charlie said that through this time, uh, the police presence was really ramped up. Like there was state troopers there. The whole thing was like a big police circus and it just became harder and harder to, to find an abandoned building that wasn't being staked out by the cops. And that's how finally Charlie was captured setting fire to a house on a hunting camera that had been set up by the police. I guess the police had set up hunting cameras or something there and they actually got like a a dark figure, which they actually thought it was a woman, but it was actually one of the ones that um, I lit on fire. Why did they think you were a woman? I think they thought it was a woman because we actually used to wear, like, black hoodies, and like her, she wouldn't, but I always wore a um, Nomax, um, a black Nomax face mask to cover my whole face up except for my eyes. And basically what I would do was I'd probably put on like six or seven different shirts underneath my hoodie. So that way I looked like I was even bigger than what I was. And I guess they thought it woman thought it was a woman because it kind of looked like, I guess why I had so many shirts on, it looked like I almost like I had boobs. <laughs> Were you annoyed to hear that you'd been caught on camera? Oh, no. I just like the old saying goes, if you go to the barbershop long enough, eventually you can get a haircut. There was no if ands or buts in my mind. I was actually kind of looking forward to it, just going ahead and getting locked up. But no, I knew we were going to jail. Why is that? Why? Because somebody was going to end up getting hurt, and I was sick and fucking tired of it and just wanted to go to jail. Finally, on April Fool's Day 2013, Charlie and Tonya got arrested. They tried to set fire to a house that was staked out by the police, and they were handcuffed on the spot. Charlie, can you tell me about the night that you got arrested? The night we got called, um, we had actually gone birthday shopping for the kids and we ended up in an argument. Basically, she told me to make it up to her for arguing that she wanted me to burn down the house. And so we went and got coffee, got gas in the car, and we started riding around. And um, there was a house there, and she told me to, she wanted me to burn that house down. And I'd actually told her, and I can't say how, but I'd heard rumor that that house was staked out. And um, I told her that, and um, she basically told me that she was the brains of this operation and why we weren't locked up. And I just kind of snickered and said, okay, then let me out. And she let me out, and I lit it, and... I called her and told her to pick me up, and I jumped in the vehicle. We turned left on the highway, and I don't even think we made the full turn before cops come out of the woodworks. There were blue lights everywhere, and she basically looked at me and had the nerve to say, what's going on? And I don't know why. I guess I hide a lot of my emotion with laughter. 
And I just busted out laughing. I think it's the first time I ever cussed her. I was like, we're going to prison, bitch. See ya. <laughs> and got out of the car with my hands up. Were you scared? Hell no, I weren't scared. I mean, I didn't like the fact that I was going to prison, but I was... It's weird. I actually felt relieved. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like a big burden was lifted off of my shoulders that I didn't have to worry about. No way I was getting hurt. I didn't have to worry about the fire department getting hurt. I was more worried now about, you know, how this was going to look on my family. Because I come from a really good family. And, you know, I've let them down so many times in the past that, I don't know. And then my daughter, you know, thinking about not really seeing her because she's a strong point in my life, which I basically kept her away from me the whole time all this stuff was going on. So how did they handcuff you? Um, I actually laid down as soon as I got that with my hands up. I went straight to the ground. I'm not stupid. Um, I knew they'd be mad. Charlie and Tonya were arrested, driven to separate police stations and interrogated. Eventually, Charlie pleaded guilty to 67 counts of arson. They went to court and were both found guilty, and they've been in prison ever since. Um, I ended up with 15 years in prison. After everything went down, the case, I ended up with 15 years <laughs> How did you feel when that sentence was handed down? I actually felt relieved because I didn't actually think I was actually coming home from prison. I thought they were going to give me like so much time on each charge and run them separately. And that I just weren't ever coming home from prison. As much as I hate doing 15 years, I actually feel like in a lot of ways it was a blessing. And I don't know, as much as I hate prison and don't like being here. I think it's given me a lot of time to think and grow. And I mean, you've told me that the relationship basically ended when, when you guys were arrested. But um, but did you ever talk to Tonya again? There were some phone calls while she was out on bond. I don't know. I'll be honest. I really just rather not talk about none of that. I'm pretty sure how I felt about her. I'll be honest. As far as it being in the relationship, that relationship was over before, not just long after it got started. We were just together. It was weird because although I think I was over and I was glad the relationship was basically over, but I don't know. I'm one of these ones I don't like being alone, so I guess I kind of still miss being with actually someone as stupid as that might sound. So it's been 10 years since this all happened. When you look back at the whole thing... Um, how do you feel? Um, probably the same way I did back then. I feel ashamed of what I've done. Um, I felt like I wasn't much of a man because I should have stepped up and basically told her to go to hell, and I didn't. Um, I don't know. I felt like I should have been more of a man, you know. I do accept responsibility for my actions. You know, and I'm very sorry that they happened. And, you know, hopefully one of these days somebody will see my story and maybe they'll keep them from doing something stupid like I've done. I just want to say at this point that I'm aware I've provided this platform for Charlie to tell his story. And his story is, is really critical of his ex-partner. He basically blames her for coming up with the idea and then kind of uh, pushing him into it and... He makes it sound as though he didn't really have a choice or that 
she somehow manipulated his world to such an extent where, where he kind of just had to do it. So I just want to say that I'm aware of this, but I've decided to run this story anyway, just because, well, first of all, it's, it's a pretty wild story. And second, because I don't know, I just kind of, I'm going to be honest here. I, I, I like Charlie. He's, uh, he's pretty straight up. You know, he's self-reflective. He admits his own flaws. I've interviewed a lot of um, criminals or people who have been in trouble with the law before, and they're usually a pretty slimy bunch. You know, they really try to excuse themselves and they've come up with 10,000 reasons why, why it was actually someone else who's responsible. And, you know, Charlie doesn't do that. He's just straight up like, uh, I lit the fire. Um, I should have been stronger. I'm an idiot. I find that kind of endearing. And that actually takes me to Charlie's motivation for doing this whole thing. Like, like why did he want to tell me his story uh, via a phone call for me to put in a podcast? Well, well, the answer is that he wants to get some pen pals. So he actually asked me if he could include his postal details at some point in this show uh, so that listeners, if, the, if you want to, if you'd like to, you're welcome to, to send Charlie a letter. So, you know, here he is. Here's, here's what he says. Okay. Um, I guess one of the things I wanted to say is that if anybody has any questions for me or maybe they just want to be friends because Lord knows it's hard to keep friends in prison, um, feel free to contact me, which there's, you can write me a letter, which you can write me at Charles Smith 1043252 KMCC PO Box. 860 Oakwood, O-A-K-W-O-O-D, Virginia, 24631. So if you got any questions or just want to be friends, feel free to contact me. Thanks, Charlie. And I think we're going to finish here. But uh, is there one last thing that you'd like anyone listening to take home from this? I guess if anybody takes it anyway anything away from my story is said if if you're letting somebody else lead your life basically like I did, it, I'm telling you now, it's not worth it. You need to think for yourself or if you're in a bad relationship, you need to get out of that bad relationship and, you know, be yourself and find real happiness and not do stuff that other people want you to do just because they want you to do it. You need to only do things because because you want to do it. And if you're thinking about committing a crime, don't do it. It ain't worth it. I'm telling you now, the whole prison life sucks. <laughs> I mean, it's just horrible. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, if you're thinking about doing something stupid, don't do it. Think twice. If you think life's bad, try to find something positive to concentrate on, you know, because life is worth it. <laughs> I just want to finish off by acknowledging that I first heard about this story via a book by the American journalist and author Monica Hess. She wrote an incredible 2017 book on the case called American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land. It's a great read and it's got all these amazing details that we didn't have time for today. So I'd highly recommend go to Amazon, go to Goodreads, whatever it is, just get yourself a copy of this book, buy it. Also, if you've enjoyed this show, my show, you should rate it. Um, both Apple and Spotify have got this like star rating system. If you just scroll down a bit, you'll see there's five stars. You can punch in whatever you think that the show is worth. Uh, give us five stars, of course, four and a half if you're feeling less than generous. Whatever you think is fair, 
and write. I'll take it. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed today's episode and you're thinking, hey, I've got a story that's kind of similar or, you know, certainly something that's interesting, please get in touch. I'd love to hear your story suggestions. I just like hearing a bit of feedback. Um, I'm Julian Morgans on Instagram or Morgans Julian on Twitter, assuming Twitter survives, and we'd love to hear from you. Today's episode was produced by Rachel Tuffery. It was edited and mixed by Jimmy Saunders, who also did our theme music. Our cover art is by Naomi Lee Beveridge, and this whole thing has been a super real production. <laughs>